John chapter 12. Today is what many call Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, growing up, I remember as a Catholic, of course, we didn't really fully comprehend what it was about, but one of the things I do remember is they would pass out palm fronds. Do you remember, Larry? Palm fronds at church. Everybody would get some and you could take it home, do with it whatever you want. Now, our dad was a, a, a skilled guy when it came to those, and so he would use his little pocket knife and he would make crosses out of them. And I remember that. But, you know, growing up, never really comprehending it, I thought, ooh, it's that Sunday. We get these cool things. <laughs> Isn't it so much more? Today is what many call Palm Sunday. This begins what we often call Passion Week. It focuses on the death of Jesus Christ and also culminates then with Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday next Sunday. Now, as we come to John chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at John's account of Palm Sunday today. To be honest with you, there's really not a lot said in the Bible about Palm Sunday, but it is the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. And as we come to it here, as Jesus is talked about here, there are three different groups represented that day. They were those who had come down from Galilee. Now, much of Jesus' ministry had been done in Galilee, north of Jerusalem, around the uh, Sea of Galilee and so forth in that upper region. And a lot of those people had come to Jerusalem because of the Feast of Passover. Then, of course, there were those who were the locals, if I could call them that, those around the area. And then, of course, the religious leaders of the area who despised Jesus and wanted him dead. It says in John chapter 12 and verse 12, on the next day, now that was Sunday, that was Sunday, spent the night with friends the night before here, John chapter 12 in Bethany. But it says on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, it just wasn't a phrase they were using. There was significance to what they were saying. The, the word Hosanna means save now, save us now, deliver us now. They were looking for Jesus to deliver them from Rome and to establish his kingdom. No doubt there were those who believed in him, who had trusted him as Savior and understood that he was the Savior and they were asking for the kingdom to come. Of course, we know from Scripture it wasn't the time because as a group, the Jews had already rejected Jesus and um, he knew that was coming. But you notice they were looking for Jesus to deliver them. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king. They were looking for him to be the king because they did not understand the long-time plan of the Lord. They thought that the kingdom was coming then or wanted the kingdom to come them, which, you know, I wouldn't blame them being under Roman rule. This is something that they wanted. And of course, their hopes in their mind were shattered when Jesus died on the cross. But in John chapter 12 and verse 14, it says, And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, 
sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. Now this is uh, significant. We're not going to stop and go over to uh, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, but this is a literal fulfillment of something that was written 500 years before. How do you know the Bible's the Word of God? Fulfilled prophecy is one of the major reasons we know the Bible is the Word of God. And this is a literal fulfillment of something written about 500 B.C., But these events, here they were, people cheering, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. And everybody was excited. And and of course, the religious rulers were very concerned about this because they thought, okay, what's going on here? We've got this uproar going on. But the events of that day, Sunday, would turn bad very quickly. Just a few days later, the Lord Jesus Christ stood before Pilate and an angry mob. He was condemned, he was tortured beyond belief, and he was let off to be crucified. He went from king, in people's minds, he is the king, but he went from king to crucified in just a matter of days. Think about it. Talk about how fickle the world is. Think about the significance of this. With that in mind, go with me to John chapter 19. Palm Sunday took place. If you read the Bible accounts, it was not a huge event. He made it to Jerusalem. He went in to the temple area, basically looked around, and there's Palm Sunday. Nothing compared to what was coming. Verse 14, John 19, 14. And it was the preparation of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, he saith unto the Jews, this is Pilate speaking, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Wow. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. Words cannot describe what took place. Words cannot describe it. There they crucified him. Boy, There's so much involved in that. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 27. This turning of the people. Now, maybe it was, no, there were the the faithful who came down from Galilee and the believers that were in the area of Jerusalem. But many in, in the area of Jerusalem did turn on Jesus, those who did not believe in him, those who rejected him as Messiah. Isn't it amazing that God sent them their very Messiah and he proved he was who he said he was by what he did, what he said, how he was as a person, and they still rejected him. I know there's the part that people say, well, they rejected him because they didn't know the scriptures. There's some truth to that. They didn't understand them, but it isn't that they didn't have the scriptures. It isn't that it wasn't there. It was there, just like it is today. There are people who reject 
the word of God. I, I preached on it last week, right? Does God send people to hell? The answer to that is no. The answer's there. The witness is there. The word is going out. But friend, you have to respond to it properly. And these people did not respond to it properly. Matthew 27, 24, back to where Jesus was before Pilate. But when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. They wanted him dead. He said, you see to it. Verse 25, then answered all the people, his blood be on us and our children. Let me tell you something, folks. There's something far more than the natural going on there. There is an evil lurking and churning and about to explode. The hatred towards Jesus. People say sometimes, they, they say, well, what about, what about uh, Jesus? If they would have accepted him, would he have still had to die? Yes, the answer is yes. Otherwise, there's no salvation. And you'll understand that as we go through the message today. And I don't know what that would have been like. That would, that's just speculation. What would have been like if they accepted him and yet they still, he still had to die on the cross? That's just speculation as far as what that would be like. But here's the point. It isn't the way it was. There was a hatred for him. And why? What had he done wrong? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. His blood be on us and our children. Little did they know the magnitude of that statement and how the rejection by the Jewish people of the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah, the pain and suffering that would cause them for millennia in the future. Days coming, by the way, when they will look upon him whom they have pierced and they're going to accept him as their Messiah. But that's yet in the future, and there's a whole lot of bad that has to take place before that happens. Little did they know the magnitude. Did Jesus have to die? Yes, he had to die. Okay? He had to die. Then the question is, why did he have to die? And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. And let's look at these things. Number one, he had to die to, number one, to provide a complete payment for our sin. You might say everybody knows that. No, they don't. They really don't. This was the purpose of his life. Now, I want you to think about that. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 10. He came to die. He took on flesh to die. We're going to be going over to the book of Hebrews in just a little while here because we need to understand the significance of how the whole plan of God and what God set up with the Jewish people and their sacrifices and all of that, what all of that pointed to and why it was all significant. But Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the son of man, speaking of himself, came not to be ministered unto, not to serve, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, I don't know to what extent Jesus grew up, to what extent he fully comprehended this, but I believe he lived with the reality of it. He lived with the understanding of it. Growing up, he had a purpose. His heavenly father had given him a purpose in life. 
And he knew one day as he lived his life, one day it was going to head to Calvary. He knew that. And he said, I came to give my life a ransom. So I came into the world is to give my life a ransom for many. The word ransom means a price paid for redeeming captives, loosing them from their bonds and setting them at liberty. Isn't that a beautiful thought? A price paid for redeeming captives, loosing them from their bonds and setting them at liberty. This is why he came. And so go with me over to Hebrews chapter 10. And Hebrews, of course, written after the fact, after Jesus went to the cross, after he died and paid for our sins, after he rose from the grave, after he ascended to heaven. And it says in Hebrews chapter 10, explaining what Christ has done and the magnificence of it. It says in Hebrews 10 verse 1, for the law, the Mosaic law, and all the sacrifices within it, and particularly particularly the Day of Atonement that they celebrate each year. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things. In other words, the law was a, was a shadow. It was, a, it was the sacrifices within the Mosaic law were pictures of what was coming, but they weren't the actual event, the actual issue. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins." But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Verses 2 through 3, the annual day of atonement did not accomplish the remission of sin, but only the reminder of sin. Okay, this is significant. Through the day of atonement, through the sacrificial system in the Mosaic law that we see, there was no remission of sin. It was a reminder of sin. It was a temporary covering, but it was not the fulfillment of what God had planned. So when you read through Leviticus and you see all those offerings, they all, folks, are pointing to the cross. They're all pointing to what Jesus would do one day. This is where the Old Testament comes into the picture You notice the wording, verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if through the sacrifices of the Old Testament, if they would have taken care of sin, then there would be no need for them to continue to be offered. Why? Well, it would have been taken care of, but it wasn't taken care of. They were just a reminder. You're sinners, You can deal with this, but it's a temporary basis you're dealing with it. This is not the once-for-all basis of dealing with it. All your sacrifices that they're doing, they're just reminding you. They're pictures of what's coming in the future. But what's coming in the future is the once-for-all. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance, again, made of sins every year. The repetition of the annual ceremony was evidence that the previous year's sacrifices had not completed the job of getting rid of sin permanently. 
As soon as the Day of Atonement took place and the people sinned again, they had that conscience of their sin. And so they had all these sacrifices that they would do. The old sacrifices only provided a covering, not a cleansing. Did you get that? They were a covering. They were not a cleansing. The sin problem was not truly taken care of yet. And that is what we're talking about today. Why did Jesus have to die? Number one, to provide a complete payment for our sins. Hebrews 10 verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away take away sins. Key phrase, by the way, take away sin. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, referring to Jesus. Now watch this carefully, folks. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Would you just think about that for a moment? The conversation is going on, Jesus talking to the Father, a body thou hast prepared for me. What had to be? What had to be was this. God himself, the only one in the universe who is perfect, was going to come to be our payment for sin. But he had to become a man. It couldn't be just something that happened spiritually in heaven. He had to become a man because we needed a substitute to die in our place. But the man had to be an absolutely perfect man. The scriptures talk about Jesus as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He is the Passover lamb. Jesus is our Passover, Corinthians tells us. A body thou hast prepared for me. Do you see the significance of this? For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. That's why we have that magnificent, amazing, glorious statement by John the Baptist in John chapter 1 when he saw Jesus. And what did he say? It said the next day in John 1.29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Do you understand the significance? Not behold the Lamb of God who covers the sin some more until next year. (laughs) No, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament types of salvation. Hebrews chapter 10, jump down to verse 10. It says, by the which will we are sanctified. We are made holy. We are set apart to God. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of of the body of Jesus Christ, and I love this, once for all. That's it. No more payment for sin. No more payment. Now listen, I I say this with no angst in my heart, but dear friends, let me say this. This is where the Catholic Church has brought over things from the Old Testament. Do you understand that? The idea of the priesthood, the idea of the robes, the idea of the sacrifices, the idea of the mass. Look it up. What is the mass? Mass is the unbloody sacrifice of Jesus again on the cross. That is what the mass is. That's why mass is said every day because they don't understand that what Jesus did on the cross paid it all. They still think they have to do things to go to heaven. 
They don't understand. Sin has been once and for all taken care of. So they keep having mass every day, just like a daily sacrifice of the Jews every day, every day, every day, every day. No, Jesus did it once for all. He took care of it once for all. Verse 11, and every... (laughs) When I first read, I was a new believer, and when I first read verse 11, I went, the Catholic Church is in the book of Hebrews. I didn't understand. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Now understand, he's talking about the Jewish priesthood, not the Catholic priesthood. But still, do you see the parallels here? The problem with it? Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. That's why the Father prepared for him a body. And John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By the way, folks, forever banish from your mind the idea that John the Baptist was this wild maniac who didn't know anything and he just ate weird food, okay? He knew what was going on. He knew more theology than most Christians know today. Verse 12, those daily sacrifices can never take away sin. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. The work was done and he was seated now at the place of honor. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. When you put your faith in Christ, you are sanctified. You are made pure and holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're in chapter 10. Turn back one page to chapter 9. See, this is so significant. Why did Jesus have to die? To provide a complete payment for sin. When we say complete, we mean one that means all sin has been taken care of, past, present, and future, and no further payments need be made. Complete. This is what the Bible teaches. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, He entered once into the holy place, having obtained, I love it, eternal redemption for us. Not just redemption, it's eternal redemption. We have a payment that was made for our sins that was eternal redemption. When you trust Christ the Savior, you are redeemed. You are bought out of the slave market of sin into the family of God, and it is an eternal buying. That means that it can never be undone again. That's why we believe once saved, always saved. More about that later. It's all related. God wants us to understand the big picture with this. So why did Jesus die? He died to provide a complete payment for sin. And friend, there is no payment for sin left, including your good works. Well, I've sinned. You got to go confess it. You got to say X amount of prayers, these prayers and these prayers and all that. No, no, no. It's all done. Jesus paid for all my sins. 
When I trust him as Savior, he gives me everlasting life. All my sins are forgiven. There's no more payment for my sin. Jesus did it all. And he proves it by what he says. Why else did Jesus have to die? Number two, to satisfy the wrath of God. This is important to understand. We don't talk about it enough. To satisfy the wrath of God. Jesus had to die. Remember, the wages of sin is death. According to the Bible, sin must be punished. Jesus is not just our pal, cosmic buddy of some kind, the nice guy. He is the nice guy, but he is not only the God of grace and mercy, he's also the God of holiness and justice. Do not divorce, do not paint an inaccurate picture of Jesus. He is going to be coming in great power and glory to judge the earth one day. And we have a choice. You either accept him as your savior or accept him as the judge. He came to satisfy the wrath of God. Sin must be punished. When Jesus was on the cross, he paid the penalty of our sin. Folks, his death was substitutionary. Substitutionary. You know what that means? That means he did it for us. He did it in our place. He didn't do it for himself. He had no sin to pay for. He did it for you and he did it for me. A body thou hast prepared for me. He came to give his life a ransom for many. That's us. That's who he's talking about. He had you and me in mind. Look with me to 1 John chapter 4. To satisfy the wrath of God. God's wrath had to be satisfied. You might say, well, I don't, I don't like that. I don't think I'm so bad. Well, God differs with you. You are that bad. You're awful. So am I. We are sinners. Our sin is a stench in the nostril of God. God cannot even look on it. God hates sin. He hates it. He cannot let us into heaven with even one sin. Heaven will be a perfect place, Revelation 21, 27. Every sin is major. Again, one of the errors that I was taught, well, there's venial sins and there's mortal sins. That is man-made. There's only one kind of sin, mortal, because the wages of sin is death. Every sin. Well, it's okay to lie. I just tell some white lies. Let me, let me tell you something. If you believe in telling white lies, sooner or later you're going to go colorblind. All right? Lying is lying. Sinning is sinning. God's wrath must be satisfied. God says, listen, you've sinned. The wages of sin is death. You deserve to die and be punished forever because of your sin. Yet 1 John 4.10 says this, here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Let that sink in. The father sent the son to be the savior of the world. He sent him. Son, I'm sending you to earth to pay for man's sin. The vast majority of whom will not accept the payment you make but I'm sending you anyway to pay for their sin. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, here it is, the propitiation 
for our sins. The word propitiation means propitiation, the satisfactory payment for our sins. The payment that needed to be made, Jesus came and made it. That's what he did. See, the wrath of God is there. The anger, the judgment of God, okay? John chapter 3, verse 36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. This is why it shocks some people when you say, what does a lost person have to do to end up in hell? The answer to that is nothing. The only way you can escape it is to be born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you die in your sin, the wrath of God will be poured out on you. But Jesus took it. He died in your place so you don't have to suffer the consequences. You don't have to suffer the wrath. And that's why he came, was to satisfy the wrath of God. And he made the propitiation, the satisfactory payment for our sin. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Written some six, 650 years before Jesus ever came to earth. This is an absolutely stunning passage of Scripture. Isaiah 53 talking about the Messiah who would come and make a payment for sin. No, he's not named as Jesus in the text, but we know that's what it is. Nobody can read Isaiah 53 and not know it's talking about Jesus. He came to satisfy the wrath of God. Watch how clearly this is spelled out. Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, Look at this, smitten of God and afflicted. That's what happened on the cross. But he was wounded for our, do you see it? For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's rebellion. It's man's rebellion. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. When Jesus was on the cross, the Lord had laid on him our sin. He died in our place to satisfy the wrath of God. God's punishment was poured out on Jesus on the cross. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look down at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Folks, let me tell you something. There's a lot being talked about right now in theological circles about the death of Christ was it this? Was it that? And all that. I'm up here to tell you today, okay, and I don't care what anybody else says. Nobody gets it all. Nobody understands the depth and the, the detail of all that took place on Calvary. We can't comprehend it. God the Son dying for our sins. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. That's for you and me. Look at this. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. That's resurrection, by the way. 
and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Why is there pleasure? Because God was satisfied with the payment Jesus made. Verse 11, he shall see the travail of his soul. Do you know that the soul of Jesus was in travail when he was on the cross? Doesn't that fit perfectly, by the way, with the New Testament record when Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He shall see the travail of his soul. He shall be satisfied. That's why Jesus could come back from the dead because the wrath of God was satisfied. Had to be satisfied, and it was. And that's good for you and me. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. See, now God can save us because of what Christ has done. For he shall bear their iniquities. And that's exactly what he did. Look up here. And by the way, well, we'll look at it in a minute, but this hand representing you and me, here's what we're talking about. This wallet representing our sin. We're all sinners, yet God loves us. Why? Because the Bible says so. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, and that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, this hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. We are sinners. We deserve for the wrath of God to be poured out on us. And if we die lost, it will be. But Jesus came into the world because we could not save ourselves. He came into the world. He took on flesh. You notice, sinless. He had to be a sinless man, a body thou hast prepared for me. And Jesus took that sin upon himself. And when he died on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on him. The wrath of God was satisfied. And he died and was buried and he rose from the grave. And the Bible says, if you will believe, you believe that Jesus has paid for all your sins, he will give you everlasting life. He will justify you. He'll give you eternal life. What a truth. Let me show you another scripture that goes beautifully with this. Go back to the Gospel of John with me. Remember, why did Jesus have to die? To satisfy the wrath of God. We cannot fully comprehend what Jesus went through on the cross. It says in John chapter 19, here's Jesus on the cross. And it says in verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. It is finished. He made the payment, right? Hebrews, once for all. One time. He entered into the holy place once. He obtained eternal redemption for us. He says, it is finished. The word finished means paid in full. In other words, the payment that God demanded was satisfied by what Jesus did. The father was satisfied by the payment made by his son. Romans 5, 9 says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. There it is. Jesus came to satisfy. He had to die to satisfy the wrath of God. He made the complete payment when you trust him as your payment for your sin. The wrath of God is satisfied on your behalf. You are saved from wrath through him. A third reason Jesus had to die 
is this, to provide eternal life and in that eternal security. To provide eternal life and in that eternal security. If all of our sin is paid for, then what is there to send you to hell? If all sin is taken care of, then what is it that would send me to hell? And what is there to keep you out of heaven if all your sin has been taken care of, wiped away? You have, the Bible says, when you believe the righteousness of God. If you can't get to heaven with the righteousness of God, then we've got a serious problem on our hands. No, the Bible says we are forgiven when you trust Christ. We are forgiven. We have become children of God. We are glorified in his sight. We have been given reservations in heaven. We have everlasting life. If it is everlasting, folks, then we are eternally secure. Why? Because if we can lose our salvation, it was never everlasting to begin with. That's why. This is why we have so much to rejoice over as believers. One more passage. We're in John. Go with me to chapter 3. All the Old Testament types. By the way, not only in sacrifice, but also in people and also in events that took place in the Old Testament. One of them were the children of Israel in the wilderness, whining and complaining. The little babies, eh, things aren't going our way. And God had had enough. So he says, okay, I'm sending a plague. I'm sending serpents, venomous serpents after you. Tell you what, that would have been awful. I see one snake, that's enough for me. The only good snake is a dead one. Sorry, if you have one as a pet... That's how I feel about your snake. (laughs) So keep them away from me. Now, don't be offended by that. I'm just having a little fun with you. But I mean it. Anyway. (laughs) But what happened? The serpents went out. They started biting the people. The people started dying. What do we do? I want you to take a serpent. I want you to put him on a pole. And anyone who looks to that one on the pole will live. All you got to do is by faith. Look, look at it, and you'll live. Jesus talking to Nicodemus brings that story to light, and it says in John 3:14, "And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up." He's talking about his crucifixion. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal is the exact same Greek word as everlasting. Friend, why did Jesus have to die? He had to die to provide eternal life and in that eternal security. Because if you have eternal life, you are eternally secure. There is no difference between the two. Well, I believe in eternal life, but I don't believe in eternal security. Impossible. 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 If it's eternal life, you're eternally secure. If you're not eternally secure, it's not eternal life. And it can be yours today. Jesus is going to be king. He is king, we know that. But he's not reigning as king, contrary to a lot of modern hymns today. When he reigns as king, it will be the kingdom age during the millennium. He's going to come back. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords, but he's just not here reigning in person at this point. 
But the key today is not, is he king or not? The key today is, is he your savior? Have you trusted him as your savior? In less than a week, he went from the king to his crucifixion. But he died for you. That's why he died. He died for you. Have you trusted him as your savior? That's where the Christian life begins. Will you put your trust, will you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? You can become a child of God. Listen, if you don't trust Him as Savior, the wrath of God is hanging over you. And if you die without trusting Him and Him alone as your Savior, you'll be lost forever and you'll suffer forever. Jesus did the suffering for you. When you trust in Him, what He did for you is put to your account and you're a child of God. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.